Well, last week was amazing, wasn't it? Woo! Amazing, amazing experience last week. Some of you I saw for the first time last week, and you came back. We've got services every week. You took my word for it. Welcome back. Last week, it was incredible. We saw over 2,000 people walk through the doors of Spring Branch and hear the gospel and the good news that Jesus rose from the grave. And we had around 30 children, 30 young people, receive Jesus into their hearts for the first time. Praise God. That's pretty amazing. I spoke to one person last week, and they said, Heath, I live just down the street. And I've lived there for years, but this is the first time I've been here at Spring Branch. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. That's so great. That's so great. I'm so glad you're here. And I got to thinking, this place has been here for a long time. But it was the first time that that particular person had experienced all that God is doing here at Spring Branch. And um, just because you can't see something, just because you don't experience something, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? A lot, of, a lot of double, triple negatives there. Are you with me? Just because you can't see something, just because you haven't experienced something, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And this is true um, when I'm looking for the ketchup in my refrigerator. Where's the ketchup? Where's the ketchup? And I'm just looking in the fridge, looking in the fridge, where's the ketchup? Lindsay walks over, she says, it's right here, right in front of your very eyes. <laughs> It's called a man look at our house. Any, any fellas in here familiar with the man look? Yeah. Where's my favorite shirt? Where's my ketchup? Where are my sunglasses? Oh, they're on my head. Sometimes something can be so close that we don't even see it. We don't even recognize it. The other day, I, was, I had, had a couple of balls in my hands, and I was, I, was, I was pretending like I was juggling them, and I was passing one ball from my left hand to my right hand. I was doing it so quickly that Rhett comes up to me, and he goes, Dad, I didn't know you could juggle. I'm doing it so quickly. There are only two balls. He's like, how many balls are you juggling? I'm like, yeah, you didn't know I was a juggler? And then Lindsay walks into the kitchen and totally shows me up. She adds one more ball to the mix, and she juggles three balls up in the air. I'm like, when did you have the juggling skills? That's amazing. She had this hidden talent all along. We've been married for 16 years. I had no idea. I had no idea. And she just walks into the kitchen and shows me up. And Rhett's like, I was impressed by you, but I'm really, really impressed by mommy. But something can exist, but we don't even know it exists, right? Something can be so real, but we don't even recognize it. We can be so close to God, but we don't even recognize him. I mean, how many of us have, have been so close? We, we're so close to God, we come to church and we do church things and and we read the Bible, and we, we, we tithe, we give gifts, and we serve people, and we know a lot about God, we do the, the, the religious thing, but do we really know God? We really have a relationship with God. And I think Easter is God's way of saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I am real, I am alive, and the resurrection is not just a one-time event, it's an everyday reality. Jesus is risen, <laughs> he's alive. The tomb is empty. We have a God who is, who is real and who is alive and he is living and active in our lives. Amen? Last week we celebrated the fact that, that Jesus gave the devil a black eye. He defeated death. 
It's almost like on Friday, on Friday Jesus wrote a check, and on Sunday the check cleared the bank. You know what I'm saying? He was true to his word. He followed all the way through, and we have this true, full, abundant life. We have this ter- eternal life in him because he, he did what he said he was going to do. Three days later, the women went to the tomb, Peter and John eventually as well, and they discovered that there was nobody there. And there were some angels that appeared, and they said, why are you searching for the living among the dead? Why are you searching for the living among the dead? Which I take that question personally. Are we searching for God in the wrong places? Are we searching for the living God in the wrong places? The reality is that God is everywhere, thanks to the empty tomb. The cross couldn't confine him. The tomb couldn't confine him. And he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. The question is, not if God is showing up in our lives, but are we showing up? Do we have eyes to see him wherever we go? And I believe that God is in some places that we're not looking. We're not looking for God in certain places in our lives. I believe that we're missing the power and presence of God in our lives. We're missing it. See, the resurrection is not just a one-time event where we get all dressed up and look for eggs. It's an everyday reality. We can experience a resurrection ourselves every single day. And so today, we're going to meet the living God. And we're going to go on a walk with Jesus. What did Jesus do on the very day that he defeated death? What did he do? You see, he had 40 days, 40 days to reveal his risen presence to as many people as possible. What was he going to do? How was he going to reveal himself to people and let them know that God was alive, that Jesus was, that he was alive? What was he going to do with those 40 days? The first thing he does, the very day that he defeats death, that he rises from the grave, the very day he does that, he chooses to go for a walk. He goes for a walk. And he walks towards a town called Emmaus. He walks toward this unknown podunk town. It wasn't a booming metropolis. It wasn't on the cutting edge of progressive culture, like Virginia Beach this weekend, something in the water. He went to a town called Emmaus, and he walks with a couple unknown guys. And he has this conversation. Isn't that amazing, by the way, that he doesn't stay in Jerusalem? All the hustle and bustle and all the celebration, and he chooses to go away from the crowd. It's a very Jesus-like thing to do. And he goes to this unknown kind of tiny dirt road, and he walks with these two unknown, unnamed people, and he begins to have a conversation with them. Let's pick it up in Luke 24, verse 13. How... Does the living God choose to reveal himself to these men? And how does he choose to reveal himself to us? That's the question today. Where does God choose to meet us? That very day, he defeated death. The very day, he rose from the grave. Two of them, these are two two people who we know were a part of the rest. If you read the two verses before that, you see that uh, the, the disciples and then some other people who, who were with them um, were there. And so these are kind of the, 
the, the, the disciples, the followers uh, that were kind of extra in addition to the main uh, 12 disciples. The very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. They were talking, they were walking, and they were recounting all the events that had taken place in Jerusalem. I heard a joke recently. Uh, any Forrest Gump fans in here? Forrest Gump fans? Classic movie. There's a joke that says, when Forrest gets to heaven, St. Peter will be there, and St. Peter will ask Forrest this question. Forrest, what is God's first name? And Forrest will say, I don't know, St. Peter. Let me think about it for a second. Oh, it's Andy. St. Peter's like, Andy? Yeah, Andy. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. And St. Peter's like, ah, you got me there, Forrest. Nice, nicely done. But we serve a God, we worship a God who isn't confined to a certain place at a certain time with certain people. He is with us and he walks with us and he talks with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so Jesus meets them on the road. I love, the, I love this picture because Jesus, Jesus pursues us not to pay us back, but to win us back. We serve a God who pursues us. We are never too far gone for God to find us. Some of us have made choices and decisions in life that have caused us to retreat, that have caused us to, to fade away, drift away uh, from, from a relationship with God. But you know what? God doesn't pursue us to pay us back. He doesn't pursue us to shame us or condemn us or look down upon us or, or, or let us know that, man, you really screwed up. He pursues us to win us back and to let us know that we are loved by him. And he wants to meet us on the road and let us know right in the middle of our disappointment that he is for us and that he is with us. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Are your eyes kept from recognizing the presence of Jesus in your life? Think about that. What is keeping your eyes from recognizing the presence of God in your life? Maybe it's busyness. Life is flying by at warp speed. We're in the fast lane, aren't we? Going from one meal to the next, going to our job. We got kids, we got hobbies, we got all kinds of stuff that is, that is taking up our calendar. Is that keeping you from recognizing the presence of the living God all around you? You have eyes to see that God is right there with you, walking with you in your journey. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's this self-sufficiency thing you got going on. I can, I can relate to that. I go throughout my day and I make decisions and then at some point I'm like, oh yeah, God, God, could you put your stamp of approval on that? That'd be great. <laughs> and he's like, hey, I've been here all the time. How about you come to me first, Heath? Are your eyes kept from recognizing the presence of God. Maybe it's something that happened in the past. You had this bitterness towards God, maybe this resentment towards God, this anger towards him. And so there's this wall, there's this barrier that's keeping you from just having an intimate relationship with him. What is keeping you from recognizing the fact that Jesus, the living God, the resurrected God, he is walking with you. He's in the car with you. 
He's in your cubicle with you at work. He's at the kitchen table with you. He's, in, he's sitting next to you in the classroom, at the restaurant with you. He is with you. No other religion can say that we have a God who is with us every step of the way, no matter how far we have retreated, no matter how far we've walked away from Jerusalem, so to speak. What is keeping you from recognizing the living God in your midst? And this is what happens next. They stood still, looking sad. I love Jesus is playing dumb. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. They stopped in their tracks. And they were sad. They were, they were filled with sorrow. They were disappointed. You see, Jesus meets us. The first place he meets us is in our disappointment. He meets us right in the middle of our disappointment. He doesn't retreat from our disappointment. He doesn't flee from our disappointment. He pursues us. He's like a magnet attracted to our brokenness. And he wants to be right smack in the middle of our most disappointed moment. And he wants us to know that he is crying with us, that he is, that he is with us in the trenches, he's with us in the mess. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God who doesn't give up on me. He wants to be right in the middle of my biggest disappointment. Psalm 34, 18 says that, that God is close to the brokenhearted. We serve a God who is close to the brokenhearted. Whenever somebody comes to me with, with, a, a, with a broken heart, this past week and I was able to call somebody uh, in, in this uh, church family, somebody who had lost his mom, and he was just he was shattered. He was so sad, and I, I was able to call him and just listen. And this is a verse I always quote that I can't give you any answers right now. I can't solve any anything for you right now. I can't answer the why question, but I can answer the who question, and that is that you have a God who is with you, walking with you, and you have a God who is close to you, close to the brokenhearted. That's the God that we serve and walk with. Disappointment. Jesus meets us in our disappointment. When I was in middle school, I was joking earlier when we were, we were running through the slides, that when I was in middle school, I was in a spelling bee. This is a, a funny side note. And the word that, that took me out of the competition was disappointment. I spelled it with two S's. It was a major disappointment. Major disappointment. But I will never forget how to spell the word disappointment. Um, the other day, we were uh, at the baseball field, Great Neck Baseball Field. Great place to be on a Saturday if you want to come hang out. Um, it was one of Rhett's first games, and he had never, he never, uh, he never played in a league where you can lead off first base and steal and all that kind of stuff. It's like real baseball, and so he's a leadoff batter and he, he he gets a walk and he's you know leading off on first base, takes a couple steps. He's got wheels, so his mind set on second base. He's he's just ready to roll. Um, the next thing he, next thing he knows, we're all yelling back, 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 back. The pitcher had this sweet little move to first base and picked him off. And he, he walked back to, to the dugout just heartbroken, just disappointed. And Lindsay, actually, you should come to our baseball games just to watch Lindsay um, because 
she was a softball player in college, and let's just say that <laughs> she's very passionate, and so uh, she makes herself known. But anyway, she came over to the dugout and just took Rhett aside, right in the middle of his disappointment, right in the middle of his tears, just said, don't worry about it, buddy. You'll get another chance. You'll get another chance. And she wrapped her arms around him and just reassured him that it was all going to be okay. Baseball is a hard, humbling game, and you'll get him next time. Jesus meets us in the middle of our disappointment. This next part is great. Then one of them named Cleopas, I wouldn't recommend that for your next child if you have a child. Cleopas, hey Cleo, I guess Cleo could work. Uh, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? My version says that they asked him, have you been hiding under a rock? Where have you been? To which Jesus would say, actually, actually, yes, the rock. Speaking to that, I was hiding behind it, but here I am, I'm alive. Oh, that was funny. <clears throat> Thanks for laughing. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, hello, where have you been? A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here are these four words I think we all can relate to. They say, but we had hoped. But we had hoped but he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. How many of us have said that in our lives? Maybe we've experienced betrayal within a relationship. Maybe we've experienced uh, some kind of financial bank- bankruptcy. Maybe we experienced uh, just heartbreak in a relationship. Maybe something in our career did not pan out the way that we had hoped. Maybe some kind of health situation. But we had hoped that we'd be further along by now, financially. We'd be further along by now, relationally. But we had hoped, but we had hoped, but we had hoped. God, we had hoped that you could just have done this by now. We go by our watch and want him to do something by the weekend, right? But he goes by his master calendar. He sees the whole picture. He knows what is best for his kids, but God, we had hoped that you would just work this out according to my timeline, but we had hoped, we had hoped. You see, life is full of unexpected events, isn't it? We have our plans, we set out, we have our schedule, we have our our specific timing for things in life, but things happen, circumstances happen that are unexpected. And disappointment can quickly turn to defeat. And where we were once walking with our head held up high with confidence, we start slouching and looking down at the ground. And we just see life through the lens of defeat. And sooner or later, we just start quitting. We start hang, hanging it up, throwing in the towel. We stop trying. We stop challenging ourselves. We, start, we stop serving others. We stop getting out of our comfort zone serve and help others. We just kind of stay in our own little safe, warm and fuzzy bubble. Because we had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped, and 
These guys are overcome with this disappointment, but Jesus meets them right in the middle of that, that disappointment, and he assures them that he is with them. I love that. The living God meets us right in the middle of our disappointment. Let's keep reading. Yes, and besides all this, verse 21, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not, they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the ultimate Bible study, right? Jesus is opening up the Bible, is turning back the clock, and he's saying, all right, guys, come, come with me, come on a little journey with me, back to the Old Testament, let's remember, let's remember what, what God said through the prophets, through Moses, what he has done. We can, we can know what he is doing and what he will do based on what he has done. So that's what Jesus does here with these guys. I'm amazed that Jesus didn't speak up until this moment. <laughs> but finally, he speaks up and he just speaks the truth to them. And he says, oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. Oh, you're slow of heart. You see, the second place where Jesus meets us, he meets us in our doubts. He meets us in our doubts. I mean, how many of us have had doubts? I remember a few years ago, Lindsay and I went to a place called Peru, and we took 20 high school students. It was a mission trip, and we were going to, into the mountains of Peru to, to serve kids who were in this orphanage and to tell them about Jesus, and we were going to use some sports as a platform to tell them about the gospel, and we were so excited, and it was going to be great. One day into the trip, Lindsay and I find ourselves in a hospital in the middle of Lima, foreign country, foreign language. You see, we had experienced our second miscarriage. And there we are in this foreign place experiencing oh, such a level of heartbreak. It was totally unexpected, totally out of the blue. And there we are just, just weeping with each other and asking God, why? Why, God? Why? We've been Christians all our lives, but God, why? I thought you were caring. I thought you loved us. I thought we, we had a deal. I thought we had a plan. It was heartbreaking. It was earth-shattering for us, but, but you know what happened? We didn't have any answers to those questions, the why, the where, the when. We did have one answer to the question, and thanks to our small group back in Charlotte, quick plug for small groups, find one if you're not in one, our small group came alongside of us, and uh, they didn't offer these quick cliche answers. I'm guilty of doing that sometimes, where, where I just want to quick fix it real quick with a perspective or some kind of scripture verse, but they came alongside of us and just cried with us. They were close to the brokenhearted, and we expressed our doubt to them. They didn't condemn us or think less of us, but they walked with us on that journey. 
and it reminded us who God is. That God is a God of love, that God is faithful, that God was with us on that journey. Jesus meets us in the middle of our, of our disappointment, and he, miss, he meets us in the middle of our doubt. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to ask questions, because that means you're really owning your faith. You're not just accepting the spoon-fed faith. You're really wrestling with it and grappling with it, and you're, and you're asking questions. Howard Hendricks, professor of a seminary, says, have a, have a brain shaped like a question mark. I just want to give you permission to ask questions. David in Psalm 13, God, where are you? Why are you doing this? When's this going to happen? How is this going to happen? I'm being pursued by my enemies. Who are you? Are you loving? Are you caring? But there's always a big but halfway through. David says, but, it's a lament psalm, and he says, God, I love you, you are faithful, and you are good. I think our life is one big lament psalm, isn't it? But when we gather together in community, we can help each other struggle well with life. We can bring all of our doubts to the table, and I hope this is a safe place and space at Spring Branch to bring all of our doubts, all of our questions to the table, and not feel like we're going to be condemned or looked down upon or thought less of because of it. But... We know some things for certain. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loved us so much that he sent his only son Jesus and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later to give us new life, abundant life, full life, and eternal life with him in heaven. There's some things that we just have to know and just trust. These guys were basing their faith on their head knowledge. They were stuck in their own heads. But Jesus comes along and says, oh foolish ones, you're slow of heart. At some point, your heart just has to trust. It's about faith, believing in something that you can't necessarily see or understand. It's just trusting. It's just surrendering your heart and just trusting and having faith that God is who he says he is no matter what your circumstances look like. Jesus meets us in our doubt. Don't miss the miracle because of the mess that you're in. Don't allow your mess to keep you from recognizing the miracle. Those trials, those storms, those tribulations, all those unexpected events in your life, right there in the middle of that, right there in the nitty-gritty of that, Jesus wants to meet you in that and, and reveal his presence to you in a way like, you've ne- like you would never see before. I can tell you that Lindsay and I experienced the power and the presence of God in such a way It was just amazing. We would never have experienced that apart from that trial, that adversity that we experienced. I'm thankful for it. It was heartbreaking. It was horrible. But I'm thankful for it. Adversity is God's university for growth, for taking us to another level of maturity. He wants our faith to go from our head to our heart. It's so cool. As these guys went along, mile by mile by mile, their understanding grew and grew and grew and grew. Their eyes were being slowly but surely opened to the presence of Jesus right there with them. We grow as we go, don't we? Let's keep reading verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going for, for farther. I can just imagine that. It's like He's like whistling. He's like walking along. See you guys. A little dark out here, but I'm just going to keep walking. He, he, he might have walked slowly just to give him a chance. Like, maybe, maybe they'll invite me into their house. I don't know how that happened, but they drew near to their village. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. 
So he went in to stay with them. Jesus is a gentleman, isn't he? Revelation, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and lets me come in, I will eat with him and he with me. He just stands at the door and knocks at our our lives. The door of our lives, the door of our homes, the door of our hearts. He just knocks calmly like a gentleman. He's always there. The question is, are we getting up and allowing him to come in? Not just the foyer, not just the kitchen, but are we allowing him to come into our whole house? Jesus comes into their house, and he sits down with them at the table. He took the bread and blessed and broke it, sound familiar? And gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? final place where Jesus meets us, he meets us in the details, not only in our disappointments or our doubts, but he, he meets us in the details of our lives. It wasn't until they sat down at the table and invited him into their house that they were able to recognize him. Their eyes were open. I believe the eyes of their heart were open. He blessed the bread and broke it, kind of like he did when he fed the 5,000. Remember that story? Kind of like he did the Last Supper, the night he was betrayed. He broke the bread, blessed it, and gave it to them. I like to think that they saw the scars on his arms, on his hands, as he handed them to the bread. I also like to think that they thought about the cross and how his body was broken so that they could be put back together again, so that they could experience a resurrection themselves. All of a sudden, have you had those moments? When was the last time you had that moment of just recognition of the presence of Jesus in your life. The restorative, redemptive, powerful presence of Jesus in your life. And by the way, his power is present within you. His presence is within you. That changes everything, doesn't it? That temple was torn in two. His presence that was once confined to a certain place at a certain time with certain people, his presence invaded and consumed all of our hearts. Are you tapping into that power that is present within you? At once, they recognized Jesus. Oh, I was talking to somebody the other day who couldn't wait to go to the oceanfront to see a celebrity. And he was so excited, he's like, I'm just going to sneak in, I'm going to take some pictures, it's going to be awesome. And I thought to myself later, like, like a good pastor, I didn't tell this to him, I'm like, What if we were just so excited, even more excited to see the presence of Jesus (laughs) wherever we go? We do whatever we can. We we go to great lengths to see these important VIP people. But what if we just every day were on the edge of our seat, the tip of our toes, looking to our left, to our right, in front of us. Okay, where am I going to see Jesus next? And like a tour guide with our friends, we we can... travel and journey through life and say, oh yeah, there's Jesus over there. I didn't expect that. Didn't expect him to be in a tiny dirt road in Emmaus, but there he is. Oh, there's Jesus over there. He keeps showing up in all these unexpected places. God is not compartmentalized, friends. He is everywhere all the time, 
with us. I love this scene. I love this scene because they were right there. And Jesus meets them in the details. Abraham Kuyper says that every square inch of the world and of earth belongs to God. Jesus speaks to us through the details. We serve a sovereign God. Everything that happens is not accidental. It's on purpose. This is kind of funny, but the first time that Lindsay and I met Michael, I told him this, so this is not, not going to be awkward. First time Lindsay and I met Michael, we had some coffee with each other, um, and then we were leaving, and Michael said goodbye, we'll see you see later. And Lindsay turns to me and she goes, he's wearing the same cologne that my grandpa wore when he was a pastor. I'm like, she's like, it sounds kind of weird and awkward, but yeah, that's amazing. Of all the colognes out there in the world, Michael is wearing the same anyway. We were like, man, this could be meant to be, you know? Maybe it's a sign. We were looking for a sign. And then I preached my first message here at Spring Branch, and Michael comes up to me, and he goes, Heath, do you realize that that was the same scripture passage that I preached the first time at Spring Branch? Pretty sure. Yeah. At some point, these these things don't happen by happenstance. We serve a God who does things on purpose, for a purpose. He is sovereign and in control of even the details. We can see Jesus in the details, the nitty-gritty of our lives. Don't miss the miracle in the middle of the mess. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I was reading this the other day, and, and the, the lights on the dashboard were going off. And they rose that same hour, and in the next verse, the Lord has risen. Those two words are pretty similar, aren't they? It's because they're the same word. In Greek, the word is, the word is anastemi. I believe it's up there. Probably didn't say it right. And, there it is. Anastemi. To cause to be born. These guys, they rose up and went back to Jerusalem in the same way that Jesus rose from the grave. This is the same word. These guys experienced kind of a resurrection, didn't they? They were born again, so to speak. They were dead in their disappointment and in their doubts, but Jesus met them in the details and resurrected them. They rose up and they repented. They were going one direction, and they totally turned around to the 180 headed back to Jerusalem. How many of us need a resurrection in our lives? Not just a one-time event. It's not just this Easter service that we go to and attend and check that box. It's an everyday reality. A resurrection can happen every day with you, even in the details, even in relationships. What are the dead places in your life that need to be resurrected? Is there apathy? Is there lukewarmness? Is your marriage in a rut? Do you need to step it up as a husband, step it up as a wife? Do you need to just, as a single, do you need to just be content where you are, trusting God will provide for you in his timing, but be wholehearted and totally present where you are in that season? Leave behind the dead. Stop looking for the living among the dead. And step forward into your future. How do you need to be resurrected today?
What are the places, what are those one or two places in your life you just need to give to Jesus? Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead in our transgresses, our, our trespasses, but he made us alive in Christ. The bottom line is this today. Jesus meets us in defeat so we can rise to victory. He meets us right there when we're feeling defeated and discouraged and disappointed and deflated and depressed. He meets us right in the middle of that, even in the details, because he wants to resurrect us to a new life, a life filled with hope and joy and peace and purpose. Allow him to resurrect you today. Pray with me. God, thanks so much for pursuing us passionately and patiently and persistently, for meeting us on this road called life. God, we want a seven-mile miracle to happen in our lives. We know that you can do it. Whatever that dead place is, God, we want to give it to you. We want to experience a fresh new life. In our relationships, God, we want to experience a resurrection. In our finances, God, we want to invite you, we urge you into our house. We want to sit at our table. God, we give you all of our scars, all of our struggles, all of our brokenness. God, walk with us on this journey. God, thank you that you meet us right where we are to remind us who we are and whose we are. Thank you, God, for doing a miracle in our lives. We love you. We pray all this in your beautiful Son Jesus' name.